everybody, Matt Michaels here, and we are about to enter Sin City's Forbidden Door. I'm telling you right now. Uh, Sin City Steve had the opportunity to travel to Chicago to see AEW's Forbidden Door pay-per-view, and uh, obviously wasn't with us uh, that Sunday to give us his thoughts and opinions and tell us about his experience. So we'll do a little special episode here so that uh, Sin City Steve can uh, get all of that out. And first, uh, Steve, I'm going to ask you, with the pay-per-views you've been to with AEW, what was – was there anything? And if there was, what was – the difference between what they did with this pay-per-view and the other pay-per-views you've attended. Well, Matt, the thing is it it really stood out to me and um, I was doing some reflection on the show, obviously on the flight back. This was the fastest show that I've ever been to with AEW. Now, mind you, it was four hours in length, um, but there wasn't anything bad across the entire show. Um, there, you know, there were a couple of, a couple of great moments. Um, but all in all, it was a very solid show, a lot of fun. And like I said, the four hours that we were in the arena absolutely flew by. It was unbelievable just how quickly it went. So it's a true Testament to the engagement in the arena as well. Um, you know, speaking of that, pacing um i think there were three pre-show matches i think it was yeah um so uh, there were four there were four, four pre-show right? matches. Yeah. yeah so when you when you look at that because that's now you're pigging on about another hour essentially so you're looking at about five hours or six hours being in in a building uh how was it that the crowd was able to sustain the energy in the building um, when you're, you know, you're looking at just such a long time in that place. Um, you know, you're talking multiple bathroom breaks, potentially multiple food trips. Um, I'm sure the alcohol was flowing in or around the arena. Um what was it that made that atmosphere um, to the point where it could sustain such a long time period? Because I, I find it fascinating, like you said, that it seemed like it went by so fast, where I think that on the at-home version, watching on TV, it it seemed longer. It felt longer just because of the fact that it you know, it had so much packed in that um, sometimes it's harder when you're at home watching TV versus being in the arena. Without a doubt. And so ultimately, I think that it was a testament to the fact that, you know, there there can only be one first. Uh, This was the first time that, you know, that they put on a joint pay-per-view that was actually marketed as such. Um, and you know, outside of, you know, a couple of things in the mid nineties with WCW, um, there really hasn't been any kind of a, a cross promotion pay-per-view in recent memory. Um, you know, and obviously there were the ones with the, the faux invasion in WWE 
you know, in, in the early 2000s. But, you know, th- uh, that was still the same company. Um, right. Here you definitely had politics at play, which I think that we we did see a couple of things, you know, certain people taking pins and, you know, us not getting the the full on dream card that a lot of people you know, we're yearning to get, we still got some great matches. Um, take, you know, by no means am I saying that I was let down at all, but, um, I think that there were definitely some politics there that had to be overcome, um, on both sides. Um, obviously new Japan, you know, they, they, uh, they're a prideful organization and, uh, I don't think that, um, like it, namely, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the matches, but, um, namely in that four way, um, for the IWGP championship, um, it was not, it was not Kazuchika Okada that took the pin. Uh, it was not a new Japan guy that took the pin. It wasn't AEW guy that took the pin in that match. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that really, you know, the, the four way when it first kind of broiled down to it, uh, I think that we, uh, you know, there were there was a definite contingent of fans that were like, oh, my God, this would have been a lot better as a singles match. Um, but I think uh, and and I agree with that statement uh, that would have been better as a single. But when you factor in backstage politics, all sorts of things at play, they everything happened the way that it needed to. And the entire show went off without a hitch, thankfully. Um, you know, there were. Uh, some injuries, unfortunately, that came out of the show. But uh, all in all, you know, you had the four the four pre-show matches. Um, you know, Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto, um, defeating uh, QT Marshall, Aaron Solo. And really um, quick, let me stop you on that, too. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Rampage then this uh, past Friday, we get to see them wrestle FTR. Um is it interesting to you because they they made it a point to say that even though Forbidden Door was over, that the working relationship was still going on. So is this possibly a scenario where you'll see some of these new Japan guys where they will now take some of those losses where, you know, it's specifically AEW TV. Um, and maybe not necessarily on Dynamite, but maybe we'll see more of that on Rampage, uh, maybe even some of them working dark. Um, do you think that that might be the trade-off? Because it seems like Tony being a newer owner, newer to booking, newer to the business, New Japan, had I, I would assume, had that leverage of like, hey, you know, we're the established company here. Uh, and basically, you know, we're pulling new eyes for you in Japan, as opposed to the U.S. getting more eyes, you know, because a lot of the new Japan fans are already AEW fans, let's face it. Yeah. So is, is do you think with, uh, you know, with that, that that's what we're going to see in some of these names? that you're going to say, especially on the pre-show, um, are going to be guys that we might see show up. Without a doubt, man. And I think that, you know, continuing to have a New Japan presence, um, not every single week do they have to have a New Japan talent right. on the show, but, you know, continuing to show that there is a working relationship 
Um, I think that that is going to be especially important. Um, and especially with Tony Khan's comments after the show, uh, alluding to the fact that based on the reaction of the crowd, the the ticket sales selling out the United Center in less than an hour for the show. Um, obviously, there were the detractors that said, oh, well, it's it's all the secondary market. It's a ticket scalpers and, you know, this, that and the other. But the fact is, this show was so well received and including the pay-per-view numbers, um, the uh, the show itself got a, over 125,000 buys, which quite frankly, for an AEW show is extremely telling and it is an extremely good number. Um, I think that we're going to continue to see uh, a New Japan presence um, up through next year when there will be an AEW New Japan Forbidden Door 2. And uh, looking at the pre-show, a lot of times the, um, the building's still kind of filling up or has just kind of filled up, especially when you think a, a lot of the pre-shows, you're getting one, maybe two matches um, from any company that does, you know, a pre-show. Uh, and it, it seems like those one or two matches are typically close to the, the start time of the pay-per-view. So here you had four matches, so it had to be spread out a little bit um what was it the was the crowd into it at that point was the crowd uh there at that point in terms of you know being fairly full everyone in the building um you know the the general sense the, the general feeling from you of was the pre-show actually almost looked at by the fans as the beginning of the show Without a doubt, man. The thing that really stood out to me as well, obviously I've gone to my share of live shows, um, not just here in Vegas, but, you know, traveling, you know, to, to various markets um, for be it WrestleMania or other, you know, big pay-per-view events um, or premium live events, depending on your, uh, <laughs> your nomenclature, if you will. But um, no, it, it's the thing that really stood out was the event staff, got everybody in the building extremely quickly. It, that was something that was mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we didn't have to wait in a ridiculously long line to get into the building. And yeah, it, I just getting everybody into the venue was key. Um, we, uh, we got to the show, I'd say uh, about a half hour 45 minutes before uh, the first match started. Um, we got in the building and I'm not exaggerating 10 minutes. So wow. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah, they, they got everybody through. They did. And they didn't skimp on us on, you know, searches or whatever. They still had the metal detectors at the door. Um, they had, they did a full, like a full search, but it was just extremely efficient. Um, so that was very, very telling. Um the uh, we waited in a merch line for about I'd say 35 40 minutes. Um, that is the one knock. Um, you know, we always make the joke of Tony Khan or somebody within AEW listening to the show. The only thing that I would say, being you know, having gone to numerous AEW events, 
please have more merch stands scattered throughout the concourse areas. Um, as we were, because uh, we did a full lap around the around the venue, um, we saw on the 100 level um, loge area two stands. <laughs> that was it. Two merch wow. stands, and wow. dude, the the lines were abysmal um, before the show started. Yeah. So that would be the only critique that I would have is have more areas where fans that want to give you their money for merchandise can give you money for merchandise. Um, well, but let's, yeah, we, let's, let's ask right there. Might as well. Uh, what'd you get? Uh, so I picked up a, uh, a new Japan um, logo shirt, except uh, instead of the yellow and red, it actually has the Chicago flag um, oh, kind of nice. superimposed over the image. So that's pretty dope. I had a, I have a, an AEW shirt, exact same thing. So now, if you will, it's kind of completing the set. Um, yeah. So now I have both uh, Chicago branded shirts and uh, I did pick up an I was there forbidden door shirt for myself as well. Um, they did have the uh, 50 year anniversary New Japan um, kind of shoulder throws or towels. Uh, I wish that I would have been able to, to pick one of those up from the merch stand, but they had already sold out of those before wow. we got there. And again, before the first match, those wow. were sold out. So people were spending an absolute shitload of money on merch. Um, there were other shirts that had already sold out as well. So just the, the I, and I, I highly doubt that it was that they didn't plan for it. There were people in front of me that were walking out with five, six, seven shirts, for instance. There's and and there's no doubt that i think uh the secondary market on ebay oh, yeah. or uh the other thing too and we kind of forget this too in the midwest um you're you're gonna get a lot of people coming to a show like that who are from the the east coast so yeah. between chicago and new york let's say um there are a number of different um wrestling stores Oh yeah. That, that sell, you know, merchandise. So you're, you're contending. And I think that's a great point that with only a couple merch stands, you're contending with those people who are going to buy six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 items exactly. in one grab. And then, you know, to turn around and sell them and maybe keep a couple things for themselves. So that's a very interesting point. I mean, even at double or nothing, the first one, um, it was just kind of, I don't know, like just strange to see that kind of thing where there's only like, is this really seriously the limited amount of, you know, <laughs> like, the, the thing that, the thing that kills me is okay. AEW uses pro wrestling tees for their print shop. Right. So every shirt that you purchase from AEW shop goes through pro wrestling tees. They are located in Chicago. Yeah. They could easily have had more, you know, I don't want to say more of a selection, but they could have had just more merch. Um, yeah. I think that was the thing that really stood out to me as quite frankly, the number one criticism that I had over this entire show. And that, that actually says something about the logistics, about 
the the show quality, the match quality, everything that was there as as a as a whole presentation. So, yeah. um, let's let's get into uh, the matches. Uh, yeah. You know what uh, what ca- instead of going over like all yeah. the matches from the pre from the pre show itself, of course. What stood out to you as you know either some some of your favorite moments or was there one match that stood out to you that kind of stood above the others? So going back to the very first match, um, you know, Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto uh, versus QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. The number one thing that really kind of set the tone for me for this entire show was just how hot this crowd was for Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto. Um, They were acting like as if they were, you know, their favorite baby faces. And it was it was really awesome to to get that kind of a reaction for the first people through the curtain in a pre-show match. Um, so let me that's, ask you. Let yeah. me ask you this. I'm I'm glad you said that about the idea of you know them being kind of the favorite baby faces. Uh, that type of reaction does it help when their opponents are those two? <laughs> I'm sure that that had to, that had to factor in. I'm I'm sure that. You know that it was booked the way that it was for that particular reason uh, right. to get them as favorable of a reaction as possible. Yeah, and if you're going to eat a pin, you know, right off the bat to give New Japan, you know, that um, that momentum in, in going into the uh, the next matches, very very smart booking. Uh, anything else on the pre-show catch your eye? Um, so. One thing that really, really did stand out outside of the women's match uh, on the show, every match pitted AEW against New Japan, except for Lance Archer versus Nick Camarado. Now, um, Lance Archer is going to be in the G1 tournament um, in New Japan this year. So it was very interesting. It was almost like as if he was booked as a New Japan guy Right. versus an AEW guy. Um so that was something else that really stood out to me. Um the uh you know elsewhere you had uh Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee um getting a great reaction even though they're being booked as are they partners, are they enemies, are they friends, are they enemies? Like give us something so that we know what's going to happen. Yeah. I know that I personally was just waiting for there to be a turn, even though it was a pre-show match. Um, I was waiting on there to be a turn. And I don't necessarily think that that behooves the, you know, the, the longevity of the team, but also the credibility of the team. If you're going right. to keep them together, then have them work together. If they're going to split, just fucking split them. Um, the, uh, the match at the end of the pre-show, uh, the six man, to be honest, after Max Caster gave his rap, um, that was when we chose to go and get food. So I can't really talk about that six-man match all that much. Um, so, yeah, the, the eight-man eight match. I apologize. Yeah, um, but what you can talk about is the food that you got. Which yes. Is, what, so what, um, so what, in the arena, in the yeah. arena at the United Center, first things first, um, I, I grew up in Ohio. So... I was a basketball fan in my youth and Michael Jordan was on another level for me. I had never been to the United center. I had never seen a show at the United center. I had never gone to a bulls game 
And to be in that building was kind of full circle for me to begin with. So I just had to get that out there. It was an awesome experience. Great venue, especially you, for never being there. Did you get a picture uh, by the statue? Of course. All right. Just of course. Sure. <laughs> um, elsewhere, uh, food-wise, um, they had uh, they had Giordano's in the arena. So, of course, um, I, I had to I had to partake in that. Um, elsewhere, um, you know, I did get. Uh, Later on in the night, I, I grabbed a, a soft pretzel, but I mean, you know, they really didn't have any kind of like gimmicky, you know, gimmicky kind of food outside of the the deep dish, um, but very, very good stuff. Um, and that was actually the second, the second uh, Chicago deep dish pizza that I had. Uh, the other one being from my favorite Chicago deep dish place, that being Lou Malnati's. If you're not familiar with it, do yourself a favor, go there, check it out. Make sure that you get the butter crust pizza, yeah. no matter what. You got to get the butter crust. And, and you know, for anyone who uh, has never been to Chicago, can't get to Chicago, if you want to try Lou Malnati's, go online. You can order. Uh, they do uh, the uh, freeze-dry shipping, and uh, it's it's worth it just to uh, check it out. Yep. Amazing. So, yeah, the uh, – you know, going on to the main show, um, the uh, the thing that really kind of stood out to me was how quickly and how great of an opener uh, that six man was. Um, it got everything off, started off extremely fast. Um, you know, yes, there was the the Chris Jericho, Sammy and Minoru versus Wheeler, uh, Eddie Kingston and Shota Umino. By the end of that match. Dare I say, the fans that didn't know who Shota Umino was, they at least developed some sort of a reaction to him, got some some emotional investment into him as well. Um, and if you're not aware, he was actually a somebody that was paired up with John Moxley as essentially his young boy. Um, yeah. And initially, before everything went down with CM Punk, um, you know, jumping off the stage, breaking his damn foot off of a stage dive, thus throwing the entire card into a state of flux. Um, Moxley was supposed to be in this match. So right. just kind of keep that in mind. Um, again, uh, it, both companies have had to deal with, you know, calling audibles for injuries and illness. Um, and I think that this show while uh, I think there was only one match on the show that went off uh, two matches that went off uh, as they were initially scheduled to be um, they, they called an audible. They made, they made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Um, very, very good stuff, man. Um, this, yeah. I can't say enough about the in-ring product on this show. Um. It so what would you say uh was i i mean I, i'm seeing a lot of internet feedback over the last you know couple of weeks um there were a couple standouts like osprey's match uh and i think uh i think also the um oh why can't i think of it right now there were there was another match that that was a uh, people were were pretty heavy on um for you what 
stood out to you as the uh, the one or two best matches um, on the card? Yeah, man, without a doubt. So the the Orange Cassidy match uh, with Will Ospreay was so much better than what anybody would have given it credit for going in. Um, question, question, that, uh, question on that. Let me ask you just really quick before I lose this thought. Orange Cassidy, the character is great and it's always been great but what we're seeing is the limitations of what you can do with orange cassidy do you think that the character itself is basically handcuffing him right now because he's so much fucking better than what the character lets on to see and i think the osprey match you saw exactly that he's really fucking good but when you're just kicking, you know, little legs and stuff and doing this this gimmick, it's like I, yeah. I don't know. Is is that is that something that you kind of felt through the um, you know, just that intensity of the match and the way the crowd was into it, that Orange Cassidy could be a major player if they fucking changed a little bit so he could, you know, really kind of carry a TNT title or or their championship. I, I really think that you make a great point. And the, the fact is Orange Cassidy has had some absolute bangers. If you go back through AEW pay-per-view history, um, yeah. his, his first pay-per-view match actually was against pack. And, you know, for the, the viewer that hadn't seen him on the Indies or hadn't seen him actually work a match. Um, if you go back to that match, he showed signs of being able to put on, top quality matches from that moment. And um, even later on, he, he and pack obviously have great chemistry. Um, there was also a match with he pack and Kenny Omega that main evented an AEW pay-per-view, which was also a banger. This one is yet another banger that he, that he yeah. had a hand in. So I think that you make a great point that especially to casual or outside viewers that don't really catch too much of the product, They'll see this dude throwing the the you know the the faux kicks and you know not taking stuff seriously and it's really easy for someone like um, let's call it what it is someone like a Jim Cornette or somebody that you know wants to be overly critiquing of AW's product. Um, right. I think that yes, their their critiques can be warranted if the emphasis is on that side of the character. Now, I did notice um, that. After this point, um, I know that Tony had wanted to acquire the rights to Jane by Jefferson Starship before the pay-per-view. And he wanted to debut that, sh that song at the pay-per-view for OC. Um, but as we saw, he still came out to the Pixies theme. Um, and then on Dynamite, he came out to the Jefferson Starship song. Yeah. But I, I think that they really could use this as a moment to kind of shift the character a bit and play up the cool, the, the actual cool guy aspect of the character, which he pulls off extremely well. Um, and yeah, you can still have him throw the hands in the pockets and stuff like that, but have more of an emphasis on his in-ring work because the guy is great in ring yeah. um, instead of just playing, you know, doing character work, if you will. Um, so that, that's something that I think needs to be said. Um, and 
one thing that really stood out too on dynamite and i know that this is forbidden door but he was out there with the best friends they had matching tie-dye track suits on they had the different music could we actually be seeing a little bit of a shift for the orange cassidy character i'm hoping i'm out i'm praying that we do see this as a bit of a, a, a shift in this character for sure. Yeah. Um, and also in that match, let's not forget the dance partner in Will Ospreay. I'm Without sure that, question. Yeah. Without it, question. It, Will Ospreay proved that he is one. I'll say it. And I, I know that people listening or watching might give me some shit for it. Will Ospreay is in my top five workers in the world at the moment, period. Sure. Sure. And, and that's justifiable. And I think a lot of the, so uh, I, I, what's interesting about this is that I think that a lot of the casual pay-per-view fans, the, the buyers who maybe don't follow new Japan, um, either Osprey got eyes onto new Japan for, you know, those people who didn't follow, maybe convinced them just by seeing that match. But the other thing that I think that is interesting is that we're talking about, you know, a white guy. You know what I'm saying? So he like speaks just, English, yeah. you know. So I think that that's the other thing, too, is that fans can kind of cling to Osprey and Jay White and Jeff Cobb and guys like that who – they don't have to, you know, worry about not understanding anything. It's, you know, it, it gave an example of people that you could kind of um, easily then start watching New Japan and go, oh, okay, I like this guy. I can pick up on it quicker with with those English speaking guys. Um, so it was a, a pretty good exposure um, for Osprey as well for, you know, fans who haven't seen him. Um, what was what was your your next take? What are the uh, the other couple of matches that you really thought stood out to you? Sure. So we would be completely remiss if we didn't talk about Zack Saber Jr. versus Claudio Castagnoli. Um, I think everybody knew as soon as Brian Danielson said that he had somebody that he knew could fill his shoes that he was talking about Claudio, yeah. and um, it it was something that paid itself off. Um, and Claudio has actually, uh, uh, listening to the, uh, the post show media scrum with Tony Khan. Um, he actually mentioned that Claudio has been under contract for a little while now and that they were just looking for the proper time to, to introduce him. Yeah. So what a better stage. Um, his theme is fucking awesome too, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I love those kind of remixes of classic songs we have it with Brian Danielson's theme, and now we have it with Claudio with the 1812 Overture getting remixed and you know having a, its own spin put on it. Um, again, this match was friggin' awesome. Um, Claudio, I, I'm really eager to see what we're able to get from Claudio now that you know the the shackles are off, and you know use whatever kind of a cliche that you want to use, but. The, the fact is he seems a lot happier in the ring just from seeing his performance here and at, at, you know, the subsequent dynamite uh, on during the blood and guts show. Um, so 
quite frankly, the pop that he got as soon as, you know, the, the arena went silent and then we were all sitting there waiting. And then the way that it worked was in the arena, they played the starting sound to his theme, but then on the, on the Tron, it was just the Swiss flag. And immediately that was all that needed to happen was the Swiss flag came on there. Crowd went nuts. And that energy, that energy really kind of, you know, picked things up because, and you know, this is no slight meant um, toward anyone else on the show. Um, but he got the best reaction out of anybody on that entire show. Uh, and I think that it's because so many fans wanted more from Cesaro when he was in WWE. Um, I know that I was a member of the Cesaro section, um, but unfortunately, he didn't rise to the, uh, the 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 heights that many of us thought that he would. Um, so now well, that that brings a good question. You know, the other person who's in the company who's been in the company for a while is Miro. Do we see Cesaro? get the same kind of you know like we kind of push him now we hold back now nah, we kind of eh. it's just like indecisiveness which in the end leads you know in Miro's case Miro is not any better off than he was over there he's in the exact same spot could that possibly happen with with Claudio so ultimately I, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that yeah, I shit can Miro's debut when he first came in. We all did um, because he came in as a video game playing nerd with Kip Sabian and literally playing second fiddle to Kip Sabian. Um, now, when he got his when he had his TNT title reign, um, dare I say he was one of the greatest TNT champions that they've had, if not the greatest, um, you know, no, no disrespect meant to Brody Lee, of course. But yeah, I think that I think Miro, he has to be in that conversation and he will be in, in the conversation for that all Atlantic title, um, which also was another great match. That four way was very solid, um, but I could see him being in that conversation. Now, Claudio, there's no reason why, you know, you can't have Claudio do his thing and their title picture is very, very cluttered at the moment. Even with the introduction of a brand new championship, um, they just have such a massive roster that, you know, it, it's going to be difficult to put titles on people and things like that. By no means do I think that they should put Claudio into a title picture as of yet. Uh, I think that, you know, for, for the short term, I'm not saying have him be a mid card guy or anything like that because he won't be, he won't be the fans won't let him be that, that level, but keep in mind, you're going to have Moxley with the AEW championship, at least until the matchup with CM Punk, presumably at all out, right. maybe later. But uh, for right now, Mox is your interim champion. And of course it would be foolish to put Claudio anywhere near, you know, near him especially given the fact that they're in the same stable. Um, so at this point, you do have to somewhat temper your expectations. Um, I, I did like the psychology of what they're, what they're going to do 
um, and anybody who knows anything um, and can read the tea leaves, if you will, see what's going on, you know that there's going to be a feud with Eddie Kingston and Claudio. You know that that's coming, especially with the reaction post blood and guts. So I'm very interested to see what they do with him. Um, but yeah, I think that I don't think that they're going to misstep with with Claudio. Um, I think that they're going to temper him, kind of, you know, keep him away from Mox at least while Mox is in the the main event world title picture. Uh, at least I hope that that's the case. Well, and they're in the same stable too. Yeah. So. I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be stupid. It would be absolutely yeah. stupid. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no reason why he couldn't, you know, be a, a solid contender for that all Atlantic title because you've got somebody who speaks five languages. So he could cut promos as it, it, I, a lot of people presume that that all Atlantic championship is going to be a traveling title that right. that could be a title that goes from promotion to promotion to promotion and from continent to continent. So, okay, yes, you have your first champion as Pac. Great worker. I think that that match was a solid, solid match. Um, it would That match really could have gone in any direction except for Clark Connors. Um, <laughs> of, course, of course, Clark was put in that match to eat the pin, but by the end of the match, the same thing that happened with Shota in the opening six-man happened with Clark. By the end of this match, you had people chanting organically for Clark Connors. Yeah. Some of these people that had not seen this guy before, didn't know anything about him, were absolutely falling in love with the character. So um, I think that Claudio, if you put him into that, you know, that all Atlantic title scene, that could be another route for him to go as well. And hell, while you're at it, you can have him cut promos in any of those five languages, you know, whatever makes him feel the most comfortable. Yeah, and I, I do. I mean, I, I just am not a Pack fan. I never have been really a fan. Um, going back even to when he was in WWE, um, and that's why I kind of get pissed off about the way Miro has been handled. And there was no reason when you introduce a belt like that that you couldn't have Miro have that title. I would rather see Claudio versus Miro. Boy, give me, give me three, yeah, give me fucking three, you know, a, a win, a win, and a fucking rubber match. I would yeah. love that. Um, so it's it's just interesting to see now. Heavyweight championship. Uh so my question to you about Mox. Mox it is he a better bleeder or a better wrestler? Meaning that, you know, what I've been seeing from him is that it seems like it's almost laziness, meaning it's easier to bleed and get the reaction than to put on a clinical wrestling match. Now, granted, the thing with Mox is I know he's a backstreet or, you know, backyard wrestler guy. He loves that shit. You know, he's gone to GCW recently. Um, he's you know, a GCW world champion. Yeah, Still. exactly. <laughs> so I, I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, it's like the guy can wrestle. And, yeah. you know, it, it just seems like in this environment, especially too, when you're talking about a show that you could really high, highlight his wrestling skill, it just seems like almost every match he just opens up and it's 
it it almost becomes less effective then because you have things like blood and guts and that's where you should see blood and guts so what were your feelings about you know how that match went on the show and and um and i'm assuming that who was moreover um in that match so the thing is i i think that for a lot of the fans this was probably their first time uh actually being in person to witness uh hiroshi tanahashi so of course i think that um i made the comparison here on the show and it subsequently has been made elsewhere i'm not saying that i was the first to make the comparison but people have said that hiroshi tanahashi is the john cena of japan yeah with good with with complete respect to to john of course but um but the fact is yeah, I think that there was a bit of a nostalgia pop for, for Tanahashi. Um, plus the fact the dude's earned it. I mean, he's done so much in his career in New Japan. Um, he did a few shows, obviously, um, as as part of the ROH talent exchange uh, with right. New Japan that they had several years back. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to meet Tanahashi when he was here as part of Ring of Honor, uh, a Ring of Honor show here in Vegas, which was really cool. Um, but the fact is I, I, going back to one of your first things that you had mentioned in this, in this kind of exchange, it does cheapen the, uh, the impact of having Mox bleed every single show. Seemingly, um, the only thing that I can figure is that they were going, that Mox was possibly thinking that, oh, well, you know, the, the lasting image is going to be me, you know, bloody face holding up the title, which is a good image, but in the context of your weekly shows um, where, again, you have blood and guts literally the Wednesday following this show. And you know that everyone in that match, uh, I believe everyone in the match minus Claudio, uh, Jake Hager, and Eddie Kingston, everyone yeah. everyone was busted in that, in that six on six. So it... it Yes. Uh, in the context of things, I, I definitely see where you're saying that it could cheapen it. Um, I also see, you know, the, the possibility that, you know, Mox was going for that visual realistically, did he need to, to open himself up in this match? Hell no. Hell no. Um, also the, uh, this was a match that Mox had been asking for, for going on three years. Right. So, you know, even when Mox was a part of New Japan, he was talking about wrestling Tanahashi, how he wanted Tanahashi and how he basically was a big game hunter in New Japan and slayed all of the beasts except Tanahashi. Um, so I think that this was just it was a fitting end to a particular chapter, but also a great beginning to things. Um, Mox was I feel that he was more over than Tanahashi to answer your other question. Sure. Um, but there was a mutual, um, you know, admiration and respect um, for both guys uh, in, in this match for sure. Um, as we get ready, kind of wrap up here. Um, any other thoughts on the uh, pay-per-view itself being inside the building? Uh, Anything that comes to your mind, uh, any experiences that you uh, haven't talked about? Sure. So the the only thing that I would mention is if you go back and you look at this show, and if you if you want to check it out, it is available 
you know, there are several different outlets where you can, where you can buy the pay-per-view still. Um, I'm sure that it's going to be up on new Japan world probably in a few months or so, which incidentally new Japan world, the money just got taken out of my account a couple of days ago. It's less than eight bucks USD <laughs> for new Japan world per month. Highly recommend checking that out. Um, elsewhere though, this show had very, very solid stuff from beginning to end. It really does say something when the worst match on the show is a probably, I think Meltzer gave it three, three stars, something like that to the Tony storm thunder Rosa match. Um, and that was a good fucking match. Um, so solid in-ring work by everybody on this show. Those ladies, uh, definitely put on a good match. Uh, and we always knock AEW's women's division. Um, and it's not just us. Everyone always likes to talk shit about it. Um, but again, very solid effort by both of these women. Um, it is unfortunate that, you know, that, um, friggin' Adam Cole got a pretty severe concussion and that, that four way was again, great work up until the very end when I don't think that, that Cole was supposed to duck that rainmaker at the end of the match. I think that he was supposed to take it, but he literally just collapsed. And quite frankly, in the arena, there was a bit of uh, uncertainty as far as what happened with that finish. Um, I can only imagine, you know, what the, what the viewers thought of it as they were seeing it transpire live on TV. Um, but you did see Jay White literally holding down Adam Cole. Um, so I think that, you know, they knew that they had to go home right then and there. They knew that, that Cole was hurt. Um, and again, Jay White retaining the, the IWGP world heavyweight championship, defeating his friend, Adam Cole in a kind of a sneaky way. You know, I can only imagine that Okada was supposed to hit the rainmaker, Jay White maybe threw him out of, you know, was supposed to throw him right. out of the ring, hit a blade runner, do something. And, you know, the, the, the finish really, really hurt that match. Um, but all told, it, it, when you have real life injuries that occur in a match, you have to do what you feel is best and them going to the finish immediately, even though they, uh, was said by Tony Khan that they were supposed to go another five minutes or so. So it wasn't supposed to be that, that wasn't supposed to be how that match ended. Um, very, uh, very rough ending to that, but, uh, all in all, I cannot wait for forbidden door two. I will go to forbidden door two as well. And I'll be present. Um, I'm just, I'm assuming that forbidden door two will probably end up being in Japan. I'm hoping not because I don't want to have to travel to Japan to see it. But if I do, yes. I probably would. Yeah, it only makes sense uh, that it would be in Japan. Or if it's not in Japan, you, the other, the only other place that I think that I for I foresee smartly running it would be uh, Madison Square. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. The other thing that I that I would figure too is they they could always go to the West Coast because obviously they have the dojo and uh, you know they run New Japan Strong stuff out of California. Right. So, um, I think that, you know, that either, either one of the two coasts, um, but if it's here in the States, I am definitely down. I might have to give it some thought if it's in Japan. 
yeah um but you know it, it all comes down really honestly it all comes down to when they decide to make the announcement too if they give you more time then that's you know more tempting Definitely. than you know crushing it in in let's say a two-month time frame uh to make sure that everything you know is situated uh especially because with the price of airfare now being oh, yeah. pretty expensive um you know if they do it in japan i would hope and i i don't know if the, i don't know if they're smart enough to do it is i would do travel packages oh yeah without question man they they, they would oh. need to do something like that and you know it, i know that we didn't even mention it the greatest tag team in the world right now ftr winning the iwgp you know heavyweight tag team championships in that three-way um yes it was predictable the outcome but it does set up hopefully what i what i'm hoping will happen at all out in september young bucks ftr and yes get ftr that final jewel that final gem in their thanos gauntlet get them the aew world tag team championship that way they can have your AAA, your Ring of Honor, your IWGP, and your AEW World Tag Team Championships. Yeah, the only one that they can't have because they weren't good enough is WWE, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, because they were too busy shaving each other's backs. <laughs> um, you know, a final thought on that, too. Um, I personally would not cry if it was uh, a, a retirement match. Young Bucks putting the title on the line and, and yep. the careers and the careers. Um, it, it ups the stakes because I think it, you know, uh, just a title match. Um, it's like, yeah, because you, like you said, you know, what's going to happen because they have to have that, that, that final piece. Um, otherwise again, it, it becomes why do it? Why have these guys walking around with the ROH titles, it's your company. And that's the easiest way to say it. Um, if you're not going to put the big titles on them and for God's sakes, make the bucks go away. They're the one tag team. I mean, I, I, I love, they are, they are stunting the growth of the tag team division. I agree. Right. And I loved what they did when they were the young bucks. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like when they were young and they were doing this innovative stuff and they created their own brand, that all that shit was great, but it's become so stale. And it's it let's face it, Kenny Omega disappearing from TV has helped the product. Them disappearing from TV for a while, that's gonna help. Um yeah. because again now you have a roster that it went from those guys needing to be, you know, the, 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 the executive vice presidents, all these guys need it to be the top guys when they started. Yeah. Now it's like, you're not going to have spots. Like you said, for the tag teams to start growing, if you're going to grow, especially in their organization, because yeah. there's so many factions 
that you have all these different combinations of tag teams, let alone legitimate tag teams on their own. Yeah. How do you grow that if you, you know, you're stunting it with, you know, they didn't need the belts. They don't need the belts. That's the problem with the, the upper guys that, I think it's an easy fix. You know, it's just like, yeah, take them off TV. Let the fans miss them. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that part. Um, the The only thing that I would mention, um, I so uh, without obviously going into great detail, that uh, that ladder match for the tag team titles where the Bucks did win the championships again, um, obviously because of the storyline progression with Jungle Boy and Christian and uh, also – um, with the Hardys, uh, with Jeff, unfortunately having, you know, that they were going to put the titles on the Hardys. They were no legitimately, yeah. Yeah. legitimately. That was the plan is they were yeah. going to put the titles on the Hardys. Um, be, and then that would allow the, you know, the, the turn to happen with Christian over jungle boy. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, Jeff decides to have an alcohol blood content as opposed to a blood alcohol content. Um, <sighs> It's it, it's really sad, man. I'm I'm I am very happy uh, because in the the pre Forbidden Door media call with Tony Khan, Tony Khan did mention that Jeff Hardy is in treatment right now. Um, so I I can only wish Jeff the best, man. And it's alcoholism is something that I personally dealt with, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get out from under the weight of that rock, but. I have, I have no doubt that Jeff will be able to, to go through this treatment and he'll be fine. Um, but again, speaking of calling audibles, that was what they ended up doing is putting the titles on the bucks for better or worse. Um, I just, I can only hope that we get that matchup at, at all out. And like I said, FTR completes their Thanos gauntlet of titles. Yep. Um, that kind of looks like be uh the end here um any uh final thoughts that you wanted to share um sting diving off of the entrance in the match he's it's crazy the shit that he's doing at 58 is insane 50, wait 58 he's 62 no shit yeah he's in, he's in his early 60s bro well i'm wrong it doesn't happen often, but when I am wrong, I'll admit it. That's totally my fault. Um, so yeah, dude, even even more so. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, yeah. Stings yeah, it's timeless. it's crazy. Oh, I, I, I'm even wrong. He's he turned sixty three this year. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, I, and again, I, I I've said it before. Um, at that age, uh, I, I just don't see it anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and mainly because I think now you can um, you can easily wrestle into your early 50s. Yeah. There's so much more uh, that goes into, you know, nutrition and training and stuff like that. Steam's in good shape. There's no yeah. doubt. But... Um, it really just comes down to even with the face paint on um i feel like we're looking at he he's going to more of an extreme 
than Flair was going through at the same age. Yeah. You know, and when you, and Flair is 10 years older than him. So, uh, so at 73, you know, in 10 years, you know, are we going to have Sting coming out and saying that he's doing his final retirement match, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know because I, I, I don't know if he will retire. Like Undertaker stepped, stepped away. I, I personally would love to see Darby take him out back behind the woodshed and put him out of his misery. Turn heel on him. Retire him. It's the only thing to me that will save Darby Allen is turning heel because they killed his, they've killed him. They've literally just, it's like you should just like him because he's a face and he wears the face paint and he's cool. He carries a skateboard, which by the way, do we ever see him use the skateboard to skate? What a fucking poser. Okay. <laughs> well, it's true though, right? I mean, he carries his skateboard, but we don't see him skate. He has he has skated down to the ring. He's shot a lot of vignettes too, where he's where he's done the half pipe stuff, namely with Tony Hawk. So, yeah, that's well, more that's more than uh, you know what can be said for the other brand and their skating character, which thankfully they've transitioned her away from it. But yeah, it, it doesn't matter. She's still got a better ass than Darby Allen. Well, no shit. <laughs> Not that Darry Allen is not a fine-looking young boy. Uh, well, come on, he's good. He's it's like watching Bad Grandpa when him and Sting come out, man. It's like the little boy and his his senile grandfather who does stunts and gets reactions like, "Oh my God, that old man just did a fucking die from a Titan Tron." That was fucking yeah. awesome, though, dude. <laughs> yeah, well. But I'm, yeah. I marked I marked out in the arena for that. I I, I it was awesome to see. I, I'm going to throw one out there though. Are we sure it was actually Sting? It could have been one of the imposter Stings from WCW, right? I think they recruited Jeff Farmer to go do it. I think Jeff Carton didn't. He's dead. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yet again, me being fucking wrong. And NWO Sting. Yeah, he he passed away. Uh, I think in uh, 2019 or or so. Yes. 2020 yeah so uh <laughs> there you go ah, there we go you can tell that we're running long because i'm blabbering now that's cute all right well on that note everyone thank you for turning you tuning in uh we hope that you enjoyed steve, sin city steve's uh, forbidden door uh you can uh, come again uh many times over and over by uh, listening and liking uh sin city steve's forbidden door until then, we will uh, catch you guys next time. And as DJ would say, uh, happy wrestling. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. <laughs> <laughs>